Bible this morning. Turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews, and let's go to chapter 6. This morning, the dangers of not progressing. Very important teaching here. Now, as we have come to the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, I believe, is Paul the Apostle. There are those that argue the point because he never signed it. And maybe that was for a good reason that we would look to, listen, the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit uh, dictated to men and to women, and as they wrote the scriptures. Now, the book of Hebrews, as we've already developed, the supremacy of Christ, that he is God, the sufficiency of Christ, that he is our complete high priest, our complete sacrifice. Everything that we need, as far as a Christian, has been developed in and through Christ. And so now we come to this place as we began last week. The struggles in this area of remaining stagnant, not maturing in Christ, staying in the baby stages. And so the writer of Hebrews had previously warned, and there are five warnings in the book of Hebrews. And the first warning came in Hebrews chapter 2, the dangers of drifting away. The dangers of drifting away from Christ, drifting away from your salvation. We have to be careful with that. Now, I believe we're, we're born again of the Holy Spirit. Uh, how can we lose our salvation? And then we came to Hebrews chapter 3, the dangers of disobedience. And if we've been a Christian long enough, we've all fallen trapped to that. Maybe we've drifted in time past, or maybe we have been in that place of disobedience. But now he comes to, we began in chapter 5 partially, and now in chapter 6, the third warning, the dangers of not moving forward in Christ, the dangers of not progressing, the dangers of growing cold, content with where I'm at. We need to progress. Now, in order to bring this all together, go back up with me to Hebrews chapter 5 and look at verse 11. And we're going to take it through verse 14. And then we're going to go right into chapter 6 because it just comes together here. The Hebrew Christians were in danger of spiritual immaturity, the dangers of not progressing. And so the writer begins in verse 11 of chapter 5, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. They have become lazy uh, in what they heard the word of God. Uh, we can't just be hearers of the word. We have to be doers of the word also. There must be application. And so many of them had come to that place of, uh, of immaturity spiritually. They were content. Many of them were dull of hearing, lazy. In verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not the solid food. It's a beautiful exhortation here. Listen, some of you Hebrew Christians, you've been Christian long enough. You've been taught the word of God. By this time, you should be teaching others. By this time, you should have home Bible studies at your house. You should be opening the Bible and be able to teach to somebody. That's what he was saying here. Because they were immature, their progress stopped. Look at verse 13 and 14 now. Uh, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe still in Christ. The rebuke here. You're still babies drinking milk. 
and not meat. You're unskilled. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, who have come to full maturity. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. Listen, if you're mature, you're able to discern both good and evil. Maturity brings you to that place. When you hear something wrong, the spiritual antennas go up and say, that's wrong. But if you're immature, if you're not growing in Christ, you can fall trapped to some of these doctrines. I want you to think of the early church. Here's the Hebrew Christians. They were falling trapped to the Judaizers. They were falling trapped. Well, you need to go back to the law. What about us? We could fall trapped to our religious upbringing. Well, just go back to your religion. Just be comfortable and concern yourself just going to church on Sunday, and you're okay. We have to be careful now. And so he continues this thought, spiritual immaturity, the dangers of not progressing, and he brings it into chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, what we just taught, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, completeness in Christ, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Now pay attention to what the Holy Spirit he begins to exhort with love and compassion and grace. The Hebrew Christians, as we move on from the elementary principles, in other words, he's telling them, listen, you guys are saved. You have previously been exhorted. Get out of the milk and get into God's word. Let's move on into the meat of the word of God. Let's move on to God's perfection, completeness, maturity in Jesus Christ. There's that time to grow. Be careful that we stay in the baby stage. We should desire the meat of the word, the firm doctrines of God. Let us learn from the scriptures, not just to be complacent and be content. Lay aside, now listen to what he's saying. Lay aside repentance. Hopefully, because you're saved, you have come to true repentance. Maybe some of them were, you know, coming to repentance every week. Listen, you're born again to the Holy Spirit. Move on now. Now, true repentance, we've shared this many times, it's a change of mind, it's a change of heart, it's a change of direction. The key word is that there has to be change, change, transformation. Because you're born again of the Holy Spirit, he says that your previous works are dead. Now, he's talking to the Hebrew Christians. The law is no longer effective for you. The law cannot save you. The law was pointing you to the cross. The law was bringing you to the cross. What about our religious upbringing? We could go back to our religious ways. As the Jews were into their rituals, rites, and customs, we could also be uh, caught up into the religious things. Be careful. We must come into that place of a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I, I've taught this so many times. We need to memorize it. We need to acknowledge it. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, uh, the writer says, If any man, any woman be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things become new. Transformation. When I heard that years ago, I asked God, change me. And church, if you're true, you know, if you are true and sincere with God, he's going to be true and sincere with you. Lord, transform me. Now, be careful. Sometimes we want to change the outward man. You know, the Christian looks like this. But what God wants to change is our hearts. 
God works from the inside to the out. It's your heart that he's concerned. I could care less what you wear. But what about your heart? Has your heart been changed? Has your heart been transformed? If any man, any woman is in Christ, you're a new creation. Has there been that metamorphosis, transformation, a new creation, a new life, a new woman, a new man, a new person in Jesus Christ? There has to be change. And what changes is the heart. Now, in the Old Testament, the Bible says that Abraham came to know God, listen, by faith. Now, we also come to know God by faith, but now in his son, Jesus Christ. What about Daniel? What about Elijah? What about Elisha? What about all the prophets? What about some of the ladies, Sarah? What about Rachel? What about Mary Magdalene? These were women, listen, of faith. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and, and study those that were uh, products of faith. It's not just for the, the men, it's for the women also. The Bible says that Enoch pleased God, and God took him. He pleased God, how? By his walk of faith. The importance of walking in faith. And so let's grow in Christ Jesus. Not, not to remain, not to be content where I'm at. Look at verse 2 now. And he goes on, there has to be this transformation. Now, coming out of these essential doctrines, you've already done these. Uh, the dangers, he says here, uh, of being complacent, basically, of the doctrine of baptism, of the laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And so again, listen to what the Holy Spirit is exhorting here. He's exhorting the Hebrew Christians to move on from your baby steps, your complete in your doctrines of water baptism. You've already gone through that. The Jews would have been water baptizing also. You've already gone through the laying on of hands. You've already gone on through these essential doctrines. Now you've been laid hands upon. Let the Holy Spirit use you, give you direction. And I like what he says here. The resurrection of the dead. If, they, if Jesus rose from the dead, we need to have faith and believe that one day he will rise us from the dead also. Now, exhort again, you're saved. If you're saved, if you're born again, there is no eternal hell. That's what he says at the conclusion of verse 2. We must come to the solid food. What about the church this morning? The body of Christ throughout the United States of America. The Gentiles. The essentials of Christianity. I think we can get so caught up like uh, the Old Testament. Uh, understand this, church. First of all, if you've come to saving grace, then you're saved. Secondly, if you've partaken of water baptism, then you've done that portion in your life. Thirdly, if you've come to the laying on of hands for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it should be complete, should be done. And fourthly, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, you should know, you should believe by faith. And now because you know, now because you're saved, you're well aware that there's not eternal hell for you, but there's eternal salvation in Christ. Now, go back to this verse. In Hebrews chapter 5, look at verse 9. We shared last week, having been perfected, completeness, maturity, he became the author of eternal life now. To all who obey him. The key was obedience. One of the warnings, be careful with disobedience. The Hebrew Christians 
These were essential doctrines in the Old Testament and to the Christian today. Essential doctrines that should already be complete, should already be done. Be careful if you come back every Sunday. Well, I need to get saved again. No, you need to get washed in the Word of God. We've come to salvation. Well, I want them to lay hands on me again to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, we'll do that. But you should already have the Holy Spirit working in and through you. And we should learn these doctrines. And then, as we shared earlier, be able to teach others. How important. Look at Now, he goes on into verse 3. And I love verse 3 because it's so simplified. He's exhorting them. He's encouraging them. And then he comes to verse 3. And this we will do if God permits. I like that. Here in verse 3, the writer identifies himself. I believe it's Paul the Apostle. He identifies himself with his readers. He reveals his own dependency upon God. I need God. You see, church, I haven't arrived. You haven't arrived. Pastor Jeff has not arrived. Pastor Jay, we are continually progressing. We must grow in Christ. Don't be content where you're at. Our dependency is on Christ. Now, oftentimes, I'll bring you to the New Living Translation because the richness of the translation. And here in verse 3, the New Living Translation, it says, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. So I believe it's Paul the Apostle. And if so, his own dependency upon God as well as these Hebrew Christians needed to trust their God. And what about us this morning? Now, the Amplified is another translation that I love because verse 3 was so simple. Amplified says, if indeed God wills, God permits, we will, and I like what he says, now proceed to advanced teachings. In other words, the writer of the, of the Amplified Bible is saying, listen, it's time to grow. Don't be content. When I first come to Saving Grace, I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn more. I was not content. And I read the scriptures, and honestly, I did not understand them, but I kept reading. And then I kept coming to church, kept receiving the word of God. Eventually, it hits home, and you begin to mature in Christ. Otherwise, you're going to stay in the baby stages. And so how important, church, that we mature that we progress, that we don't become stagnant. And don't be content. Well, you know, I'm, I'm being bottle-fed. I'm okay. Oh, let's progress. We come to verses 4 through 8, and we're going to teach it. And I'm going to give you what I believe the Holy Spirit has taught me for many years. There are those in Christianity uh, that believe they can lose their salvation. I don't believe that's what the scriptures teach. And then there are others that, well, God appoints you, God elects you. Uh, well, where's the freedom of choice? Where's the freedom of choice? And if I want to choose to sin, I can. And if I want to choose to get saved, I can. But God is going to keep me there. God is going to keep you there. The Hebrew Christians were struggling. So verses 4 through 8 are powerful, I want to say a quick prayer. Father, as we get in verses 4 through 8, Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes, that we would see what the Word of God says. And Lord, open up our ears that we might hear what the Word of God says. But most of all, Lord, 
Open up our hearts that we might place these words in our heart. Oh, Lord, speak to us in clarity. In Jesus' name we pray. Now, from verses 4 through 8, it seems to read that we can lose our salvation. In the church as well as here in the letter to the Hebrew Christians, there are those who move on to maturity, and there are those who, as we've been sharing, they slip, they drift, they fall away, and we're studying this morning the dangers of not progressing. The question that we have to ask, do they lose their salvation? And so we're going to read, and we're going to listen to what the Holy Spirit says. Now, the Holy Spirit has to say, not what man has to say, but what the Holy Spirit has to say. Because there are those that are going to condemn you. You make one sin, and they're going to place you in hell. Now, I believe, and I teach, listen, on eternal security. But I also believe this. If you're born again of the Holy Spirit... How can a true believer in Jesus Christ lose his or her salvation? Now, I also teach in eternal security, but the responsibility of the believer. Don't tell me you're a Christian. Don't tell me you're born again of the Holy Spirit. We're still doing drugs. We're still doing alcohol. We're still doing sexual sins. We're still lying, cheating, stealing. I mean, the list goes on. Where's the change? Where's the transformation? And yet we all struggle. Nobody's perfect. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If, any, uh, if anyone, if any man, woman, or child that is in Christ, he or she, is a new creation now. There has to be change. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There has to be this change. Is there evidence of change in my life and in your life? We shared this before. If you were to be arrested for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? I'll tell you, that floored me years ago. Is there evidence? And we're going to be speaking about fruit. Is there fruit of the Spirit? Now he's going to begin to break it down. Look at verse 4. For it is possible or impossible, excuse me. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. That's going to make a lot of sense when you begin to break it down. It's impossible for those who were previously enlightened, listen, the Greek word is shined for, or come to the light, which is salvation in Christ, and have been already uh, have already tasted the heavenly gift, tasted or partaken of salvation. And the proof is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in and through you. Is there evidence? Is there evidence to convict you that we are Christian? Now, I want you to write this down. We've taught it many times. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, it speaks about the fruit singular of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say plural, fruits of the Spirit, because years back I used to just read right through it. But what needs to work in your life is the first fruit of the Spirit is love. Love has to be evident. 
Love has to engulf you. And I'm talking about agapeo love, divine love, unconditional love, love that's always giving, never wanting anything in return. The fruit of the Spirit begins with love. Once love is accomplished in my life through Christ Jesus, and then he bestows upon us joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. It's beautiful. Goodness, self-control. But is there evidence? Now, we've been studying about the Old Testament saints. They came out of Jerusalem. Excuse me. They came out of Egypt, and then they were going to the promised land. I want you to do a study because remember that first generation did not enter the promised land, the land of milk and honey. On your own, study Numbers chapter 13 and 14. We've often shared that when they left Egypt, it was an 11-day journey to the promised land. They stopped, listen, at Kadesh Barnea, and they just sat there. Now remember, they sent out the 12 spies. Go into the promised land and see if God is saying what it is. And remember, they came back. Ten of those spies came back, and all they could say is there's, there's giants in the land. There's walled cities in the land. There's great armies in the land. We're not going in there. But two spies came back, and they said, it's exactly what God said. It is the land of milk and honey. In fact, the scriptures tell us that they took a pole, two men, and they brought back a cluster of grapes. It was so plentiful that it took two men to carry back the evidence. Eleven-day journey, but they meandered for 40 years because of unbelief and because of rebellion. The Bible says that generation did not enter the promised land. In fact, Moses did not enter the promised land. Now, was Moses saved? Oh, obviously. We find Moses in Matthew chapter 17. There he is at the Mount of Transfiguration. We see Moses, we see Jesus, and we see Elijah. But Moses, because of his misrepresentation of God, did not enter the promised land. We're saved. We're born again of the Holy Spirit. But imagine not partaking of the promised land church we have such an inheritance man I, I don't know about you but i want everything that god has for me i want you to turn to a passage go with me to first peter chapter 2 verses 1 2 and 3 i love what peter writes concerning our inheritance through jesus christ through the blood of jesus christ and and again don't be content with the milk of the word but let us desire to progress lord i want more from you Lord, what do you want from me? Use me, Lord. Lord, I want to teach others. I want to share with others. I want to invite others. I want to lead others to Christ. You should never be content with your own salvation. So 1 Peter chapter 2, look at verse 1. Laying aside all malice. Now, these are our past sin. Laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, and all evil speaking. Lay it aside now. And then he goes on to babes. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow, that you may grow thereby. It's time to progress. Time to move on. 
Chuck Missler in his teaching on the book of Hebrews said, what if you went to high school and here you are a sophomore and your best friend comes in and he's got a bottle of, of milk with a big nipple on it? You would think it very strange. I think there's too many Christians that just rely on John 3.16. We need to progress. We need to grow. Look at verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, you've experienced, listen, God's grace. Now, we know that God's grace is unmerited favor. I deserve judgment. You deserve judgment. But God gives me his grace. No matter what I've done. I don't believe any one of us in here have committed the unpardonable sin. That's the only sin that God rejects. And God says he will not forgive that. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Let me give you three verses that are so beautiful. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Paul says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, listen to this, is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You're saved. Move on. You're saved. Progress. Uh, look at the second verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. By grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself. It's a gift of God. You're saved now. Progress. Move on. Don't be content. And then he concludes, we're talking about tasting of the Lord, tasting of his word. In the Old Testament, Psalm 34, verse 8. The psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who trusts in him. Listen, church, we've all tasted of the world, and we know that the world has nothing to offer. Now, Jesus said, you will be in the world, but you will not partake of the world. We need to come to salvation. If we come to salvation, we need to grow in Christ. The dangers of not progressing, the dangers of just, you know, remaining stagnant. Now, remember we taught about in the beginning, that the book of Hebrews was written around 64 to 68 A.D. And if that's true, let's give it the benefit of the doubt. By the time they got to 70 A.D., not just a couple of years away, Titus and the Roman army was going to come in and level Jerusalem. And the Hebrew Christians would be scattered. And man, if they're not rooted and grounded in God's word, the enemy was going to come and trip them. The enemy's good at that. The enemy likes to get into your mind. The enemy likes to get into your thoughts. God can't forgive you on that one, Bob. God can't forgive you on that one, George. The enemy is crafty, subtle. He has a bag of tricks, and he'll use everything in his power. Now, let's move on. Look at verse 5. And he's talking to these Hebrew Christians that have come to saving grace and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the world to come. Now, the word world is a King James translation. It should be the word age. And we'll get to that in just a minute. In verse 5, not only had they tasted of the heavenly gift of God, his salvation for them, the free gift, the writer here, the Holy Spirit, also includes that we have tasted, experienced of God's word, and now we have known the powers of the age to come. The Greek, the Holy Spirit is saying, you have now shown you uh, through the word of God the course of the things to come. It's an eschatological eschatology here, excuse me. It's talking about the end times. 
if we're Christian, we've been Christian for a time, nothing should surprise us. We should know these things that they're coming. Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation chapter 18, we see 21 judgments, the seven seals, the seven bowl, the seven trumpet judgments. It should not catch us unawares. Do we know these things? Or are we still, you know, five, ten years as a Christian and we're still a baby in Christ? The warning was stern. You see, the Holy Spirit would prepare you for the things that are coming down. Now, I believe we see the signs of the times right now. We cannot predict that the Lord's coming next week or the week after. But we know that the times are here. Now, the dangers of not progressing. I want you to study a passage with me. Let's turn to it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Now, I'm going to admit this to you. I've studied these passages for years. And every time I study them, I cringe. Because I don't want to be this type of person. Those that came in, raised their hand, say they got saved, but nothing happened. This is a radical rebuke here that Jesus brings forth. He says to them, I never knew you. They were attending church. They were going to church. They were partaking of church. But Jesus says, I never knew you. How could that be? Because they never came to salvation. Look at verse 21 now. Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Underline this. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. But he who does the will of my Father. We just studied. Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let this cup of death pass. He, he knew the cross was coming. He didn't want to die on the cross. He says, Father, if there be any other way, let this cup of death pass. But then Jesus said, but not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus in his humanity as the incarnate God, he showed us the example of submission, listen, to obedience. Jesus submitted and he obeyed the Lord. If it's your will, then I'll go to the cross. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 21 is a classic. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And done many miracle signs and wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, and here's that radical statement. Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Again, church, there has to be fruit in our life. Again, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, 23, speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. It begins with agape love. In John chapter 15, the teaching of the vine and the branches, Jesus specifically says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. If you stay in me, I will stay in you, and you will produce fruit. That's a promise. You're going to bear fruit, the scripture says in John 15. You're going to bear more fruit, the scripture says in John 15. And listen to this, you're going to bear much fruit, the scripture says in John chapter 15. In fact, you're going to bring forth fruit. Listen, the scripture says 40, 60, 80, 100 fold if there's change. I mean, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are going to work in and through you. 
The spiritual gifts are going to work through you. The fruit of the Spirit is going to work through you. If we're truly born again of the Holy Spirit, you're going to produce fruit. And that first fruit is going to start with what? Love, agape love. It's essential. Now, we're going to get to this at the conclusion of the study, but mark it down. In Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower and the seed and the soil. We know that the soil is the, the human heart. We know that the seed is the word of God. We know that the sower is Christ. But in this parable, there are four hearts. Interesting that only one heart produced fruit. I believe that there was many times in my three-year span that I was seeking the Lord that I would say that sinner's prayer, but there was no change because I didn't pursue change. I would just say the sinner's prayer, uh, listen to this, a lip service. Well, my friend said, I got to say the sinner's prayer. My, my, my friend said, read this and pray it. And I would pray it, but I don't know what I expected. I, I guess I wanted to see, you know, lightning bolts. I wanted to see the handwriting on the wall. And if I would have, I probably would have died of fright. But this is where faith comes in. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As you progress, as you mature, as you come, watch how God transforms you. God changes you. And, and that's the whole purpose of Bible study. That's the whole purpose, not a sermonette, but the whole purpose of teaching. That's why we go through the book of Hebrews. That's why we go through the uh, first and second Kings. That's why we've gone through the book of Galatians and so on down the line. We must teach the word of God and receive from him. Now, he's not finished yet. Let's go back to our text. Look at verse 6 now. If they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Now, when you come to verse 6, if you don't attempt the Holy Spirit to minister to you, you're lost. I, I tell you, I've struggled with this for many years. Can I lose my salvation? I have to ask the question, are you born again of the Holy Spirit? Has there been change? Has there been transformation? There's a progression. As the Lord, I mean, you come to salvation. You've come to water baptism. Somebody laid hands on you. Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You believe in the resurrection of the dead? Is there change? There has to be this change. Now in verse 6, let me explain as much as I can. These, he's talking to the Hebrew Christians. These turn away from God. There were those that were backsliding. He spoke earlier. Some were drifting. Some were slipping away. Is it, is backsliding is impossible to bring such people Back to repentance. It's a good question. Nailing him to the cross or her to the cross again. But I want you to pick up on this. I've studied Pastor Chuck for many, many years. And he has such a heart of grace. And Chuck fits that category. Listen to what he says here. They can't repent. They can't receive Jesus Christ again. Because they're already saved. Makes sense. Why should they come to repentance? Now the Bible says, come to a washing, come to a cleansing. Why come up and give your life to Christ every Sunday? You should have already done that once and for all. And now progress. 
Now, if there's a place where you backslid, a place where, you know, you become a prodigal son or a daughter, yes, there's that place of rededicating your life. But is God through with you? I don't believe so. Pastor Chuck says they can't repent. They can't receive Jesus Christ again. Why? Because they're already saved. We have to remember some of the attributes of God. What Describe who God is. And some of us have experiences. Let me go through a few of them. The Bible teaches us that God is patient. You've been a Christian long enough, see some of the things we've done, and you will respond, oh, thank you, Lord, for being patient with me, waiting for me. Second attribute, he is long-suffering. Third attribute, he is gracious towards me. The next one, he is merciful. Lord, have mercy on me. What about the grace of God? God is forgiving, another attribute of his. God forgives his. He's compassionate. He's loving. You see, all this comes together because of, God, of who God is. We've all blown it at one time or another, e even to the point where we think, God's not going to forgive me. But if he's loving, if he's kind, if he's merciful, if he's considerate, passionate, God forgives those that he loves. Now, if we continue and, and, you know, abuse the grace of God, sooner or later he'll call you on the chopping block. Does he take away your salvation? I don't believe so. But I've run into Christians that God has chastened. We're going to study that in Hebrews chapter 12. God chases, listen, those that he loves. God chases those that he loves. Don't raise your hand, but I know some of us. I know myself. I've been spanked by God. You know, God doesn't do time out. Bob, go over there for 10 minutes. I would have loved my dad to do that. God has a way of spanking us. He has a way. Why do we, our children today in our United States are so messed up, nobody's reprimanding them. Oh, just let Johnny, he's going through a phase. Hey, put the phase where it counts. And I'll tell you what, it'll take care of business. But now you can't touch anybody. I wish they would have told the nuns that were in our school. They used to beat us pretty good. And now I look back, I told Mary, well, I need to say thank you, Lord. But at that time, it sure hurt. God is patient. God is kind. I put this in my footnote for verse 6. Where does God's grace, listen, where does God's grace begin? Where does God's grace end? You see, I know back in 1979, I came to saving grace. My wife and I got saved the same day. I know that day the grace of God began for me. How far can I take the grace of God? You see, if I were to tell you, and I would be doctrinal about it. The scripture says, listen, Bob, you got enough grace to go to Campo Street. But after that, you've had it. I would guarantee you, you would sin as far as Campo Street, then you'd stop. Because that's our nature. Well, I can't go, you know, over. Can't go over to Tornillo Street, the next one. Because I'll be doomed. This is where the grace of God. Listen, what is the grace of God? Unmerited favor. I deserve judgment. You deserve judgment. But he gives me his grace. Now, I want you to put on your thinking caps. Again, we're talking about the first 
generation that did not enter the promised land. Uh, Hebrews been speaking about it. Remember that we shared in previous studies that first generation in the Old Testament did not enter the promised land. That does not mean that they were not saved. They did not enter, in, enter the inheritance of the promised land. They were saved but did not partake of the blessing. Now, were there some of those that were not saved? They never came to saving grace. Could very well be. But the majority, I would believe, that they had come to rebellion. God did not let them in to the promised land. Now, when we speak about sin, because we're all sinners saved by grace, there are those that come to that place, and they hear the rhetoric, they hear the teaching, and they say, Pastor, I, I've had this, you know, somebody approach me. I have committed the unpardonable sin. The fact that they come to church, the fact that they sought out a pastor, the fact that they know the scripture, that's not the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is the continual, listen, rejection of Jesus Christ over and over and over. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. And when you get to Matthew chapter 12, stay there, because then we're going to go into another verse in Matthew chapter 12. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 through 32. Again, we had already mentioned at Kadesh Barnea, Numbers chapters 13 and 14, they became stagnant. They just sat there. The two spies came back. It's exactly what God said. But the others did not want to get into the inheritance. But the unpardonable sin, and I can guarantee you, each one of you here this morning, you're here, and you have never committed this sin. And I don't think you're ever going to commit that sin. Watch this. Matthew 12, verse 31, Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the, uh, the Spirit of God will not be forgiven men. In other words, because the Holy Spirit brings conviction. And there's continual rejection of Jesus Christ over and over and over. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's the unpardonable sin. Look at verse 32 now. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whosoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. Why does he say the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is a comforter, the paracletos. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes alongside us and convicts us of sin. And we must come to that place of saving grace. Conviction comes through the Holy Spirit to man, to woman, to young person. When we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts. We must respond. Listen, we can either receive Christ or we can reject him. And so that continual rejection. I shared a short story in the first service. Years back, I had a real good friend named Ron. And Ron was struggling with his walk with Christ. I mean, he would have good days and bad days, one of those, you know, hills and valleys. And Ron was just struggling. And he would come to the church and talk to some of the guys. I, I've really blown it. You know, I got drunk last week. I got really mad at God. In fact, I told God no more. And the fact that he was there, the fact that he was confessing, the fact that he was convicted, he just needed to get right with God. 
But Ron took it to an extreme one weekend. He was angry with God. Where Ron lived, uh, he lived at the end of a block, and at the end of that block was a small hill, and at the top of that hill was a light that kind of just shone, you know, through that community where he was at. And so he was angry with God in his drunkenness. He climbed that little hill, came to that post of the light, and he climbed it. Kind of reminds you of, uh, uh, what's his name? Nimrod, as he goes up to the ziggurat, and he's trying to reach God. <laughs> and Ron gets up to the top, and he's shaking his fist at God. And when he's telling me the story, I go, I kind of step back. I don't, I don't want to get toasted with him. <laughs> and see, that's the, what I thought. But God, in his grace, listen, forgave Ron. And I can honestly tell you today, Ron is doing so good, serving the Lord. He raised his kids in the Lord. They got married off in the Lord. And I mean, it's beautiful. But he went through this segment. And I think all of us, maybe not to that extreme, but we go through those things. Now, I asked you to stay in Matthew 12. I want you to go to verse 33 to 35 now. Jesus teaches... Again, we go back to that position of fruit. Don't tell me you can lose your salvation. I, I need to ask you, you've come to salvation. Have you produced fruit? Listen to verse 33, Matthew 12. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. By its fruit. Jesus Christ will know mine, will know yours by their fruit. And the evidence is the fruit of love, that first fruit, is it operating in and through your life. Verse 34, because the religious leaders were listening. He says, brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. These religious leaders said one thing and they did another. In verse 35, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. And so here's the issue. The issue is with the heart, church. The, his, the issue is with your heart. Have you given your life to Jesus? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, know you not now that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We're so quick to go to the church and think that God's there. Yes, he is there. In the time of the Jews, they were so quick to go to the, uh, the temple. We have to go to the temple. God's there. Yes, he was. But now through Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension into heaven, he has made it accessible for us uh, to enter the Holy of Holies. We have access, church. God has made it possible for us to enter. What a beautiful place when you think about it. I can come, as we shared last week, boldly to the throne of grace because I'm born again of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tabernacles within you. He abodes within you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But yet the enemy's going to attack. I want you to write down two verses. In Genesis chapter 3, Satan attacked Eve by challenging God's word. He gave a half-truth and a half-lie. That's the enemy. 
We already went through this in Matthew chapter 4. Satan attacked Jesus by challenging God's word. And Jesus responded, remember, with the word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. Satan would love more than anything to challenge your salvation. Remember this. The God that we serve is a forgiving God. The God that we serve is a forgiving God. You know anybody that says, I don't go to church because I've committed the unpardonable sin. You know them. Have they committed the unpardonable sin? Have they completely, totally rejected God? Usually the enemy keeps them away. Listen, don't come back. They don't want you there. And yet God's waiting. Remember the prodigal son? The other brother couldn't handle it. When the prodigal son's dad saw him coming, boy, he went, ran to him, kissed him about the neck, put a, a cloak upon him, put a ring on his finger, killed the fatted calf. And remember the other brother? He was angry. He was angry because his brother had taken his inheritance and squandered it. He went to Las Vegas. He came back in a barrel. And, you know, he says, well, what about me? Oh, church, I wish I could deeply and completely and totally explain God's forgiveness. All I can tell you that it's there. Uh, God's grace, all I can tell you that it's there. Now, we come to the conclusion. Remember Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower and the soil? It just comes together here. Verses 7 and 8. He goes, For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs, bears fruit, I like what he says here. Useful for those by whom it is cultivated. Receives blessings from God. In verse 8, But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end it is to be burned. To be burned. In John chapter 15, in that beautiful teaching, in order to bring forth fruit, sometimes, listen, we don't like this. Sometimes God has to prune us. <laughs> sometimes God has to chip away that old man, that old woman. And sometimes we think he goes too far. Years back when we lived in Southern California, we had some fruit trees in our back. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not the green thumb guy. My grandfather was an ex-migrant worker. And my grandpa, I mean, he could do wonders. And so my mom said, you need to get my dad, you need to get grandpa to come out here and to prune the trees. And so, you know, I don't know nothing about pruning. I go, grandpa, would you? Yeah, I'll be out there. So I went to work. I'm at work for 10 hours. I come home. The backyard's bald. <laughs> I go, grandpa came to kill my trees. No, he pruned them. He pruned them to a nub. Next year, best fruit we ever had. Oh, I'm telling you, church, we're afraid. And sometimes God has to prune us. Sometimes God has to chasten us. Sometimes God has to break us. Now, verses 7 and 8 bring together the parable of the sower and the soil. In Matthew chapter 13, I want you to go home and study it, but let me give you the scenario. We know that the sower is Christ. We know that the seed is the word of God. And we know that where the seed fell and needed to be cultivated, these are the four hearts. And so the seed was strewn in Matthew 13, and Jesus warns. 
the first heart, the seed fell just below the surface of the, uh, of, of the dirt, that is, and the birds came and they ate it. The birds represent Satan. The second heart, the seed fell on stony ground and did not grow because it couldn't get the nourishment, but it died. The third heart, the seed fell on the thorns and they choked them. In other words, they tried to keep one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. It didn't work, but the fourth heart. The seed fell on good ground. And this heart, listen, produced fruit. The fruit of the Spirit begins with love. And so again, can I lose my salvation? My answer to that is no, if you're truly born again of the Holy Spirit. If there's evidence of fruit. Three verses I'm going to lay on you. I'm going to read them to you. John chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus ministering to his disciples, and he tells them, I am the bread of life, the bread from heaven. In verse 37, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will by no means, listen, cast him out. What a promise. In John chapter 10, Jesus declares there, he is the true shepherd. In verse 28, and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Hmm. In verse 29, my father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. You're secure in the father's hand. Oh, the enemy's going to try, but you're secure. Lastly, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, Peter encourages... Make your election sure. Your call to salvation, make it sure. In verse 10, he says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. You will never stumble. Beautiful place to be. I want you to turn to this last passage. We have about two minutes to go. The, the epistle of 1 John. Towards the back, chapter 4. We talked about the fruit of the Spirit. It begins with love. Jesus says, you abide in me, I will abide in you. You will bring forth fruit. Conclusion here, 1 John the Epistle, chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The word love is agape. In verse 8, he who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Church, it begins with knowing, loving, serving God. And you will bring forth fruit. It's a matter of time. But let's not remain in the baby stage. Let's not remain stagnant. Let's grow. They're going to know you. They will know you by your love. We used to sing those type of songs. They will know you by that agape love. What is agape love? Divine love. What is agape love? Unconditional love. What is agape love? Love that's always giving, never wanting anything in return. Look how God has loved us. Now turn around and love somebody else. They were in danger of losing their salvation. How can they lose it if they're born again of the Holy Spirit? Depart from me. I never knew you. They never came to saving grace. They did the mechanics. You know the old logic, you come to church, that doesn't make you a Christian. 
but you must come to saving grace. That makes you a Christian. Let's all stand, we'll end with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much. Lord, for your precious word, I pray that the Holy Spirit has clearly spoken to us, Lord. And Father, I pray that your hand of grace is overwhelming. You are the awesome God that we serve. And so, Father, we pray. Father, bless your beautiful people that have come this morning. Minister to their hearts. Lord, if there's anybody that has not made a commitment to Christ today, it is the day of their salvation. But, Lord, maybe there's some that are in a backslidden condition. Oh, they need to come back to their first love, which is Christ. And so, Father, bless this time. Father, bless the offerings as you've given to us. We, we give back a portion. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Wallace is going to end in song. The ushers are going to receive the offering if you'd like to give. After the service, Pastor Jeff will be up here in the front. If you've never received Christ, here's an opportunity. Ask him. He'll lead you in the sinner's prayer. It's a simple prayer. But maybe we're in a backslidden stage. You need to get things right. Ask Pastor Jeff to pray for you. Encourage you. There's no shame in that. We must seek the Lord. All right, God bless you guys.